Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 68 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I get to welcome my husband back because I wanted to have a co-host for this episode. As my regular listeners know, today's episode is going to be titled, What I Wish I Had Known. I had asked people to submit little audio recordings or emails about things that They wish they had known at the beginning of their grief journey, things that might have been able to help them be able to get through just a little bit easier. So for this episode, I had five people give submissions, two were written and three were audio recordings. So not even close to the 15 or so that I got for the episode last week. So that's why we're going to just do a little more commentary, I think, on this one as well. So thanks, Eric, for agreeing to join me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you are uh, captive here. You ended up getting the day off, and now I'm putting you to work anyway. So Um, I'm going to start out by just reading uh, the email that I got from Chrissy. Chrissy has been on the show a couple of times and also submitted some beautiful stories last week, but she wanted to submit something for the What I Wish I Had Known episode as well. So I'm going to go ahead and read her email. So Chrissy writes, I wish I had known how much work grief is. When I lost my dad very quickly to cancer, I was sad and devastated, of course, but the grief was so different than it's been after losing Caleb. Maybe for me as a daughter, I knew that my dad would die before me because that's the natural process of life. So when he got sick and died, the grief was natural, if that makes sense. Grieving the death of Caleb has been a lot of intense and heartbreaking work. I was honestly oblivious to what grieving really meant until I was forced to figure it out. I noticed really quickly that people do a lot of pretending, walking around as if everything is fine, pushing their pain down, drowning their sorrows, numbing the pain. Not until I I became a bereaved mother did I realize how much work grief is. Recognizing the pain, allowing myself to feel it and process it is very hard but it's work that needs to be done in order to go on with life. I focus on one thing at a time and try to remember that I'm living for him instead of without him. Building a website, writing on a blog, starting a nonprofit, and allowing Caleb's life and legacy to continue through that has been healing. Having a place to put my grief and using my pain for a purpose has been healing. Sitting on my couch with piles of Kleenex around me, piles of books on child loss, a journal to write my grievances and my journey, and your podcast episodes have been healing. Some days, grief looks like sobbing in his pillows, smelling and holding his dirty shirts, crying as I listen to his voice on saved voicemails, and laughing at silly videos of him. 
Some days it looks like sitting at the cemetery, feeling tears fall off my face as I grip the grass between my fingers, knowing that's as close as I can get to his body I used to hug. Some days grief looks like screaming in my car, screaming at God, screaming at Caleb, and screaming at this evil world. I wish I had known that grief is not just a feeling, it's an action. It feels painful, but a necessary action to move out of the darkness toward light again. Chrissy. That's just a beautiful synopsis, really, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it encapsulates all the all the different things you feel all the time. Right. I did not realize how hard uh, work it would be either. It just seemed like it was more just emotional um, for me. I don't know what you thought. I, I mean... As much as I'd ever put any thought into it, I suppose, after it happened, the accident happened, I just kind of thought it'd just be a certain amount of time passes. I mean, I just, I guess I just thought you just sort of pay your dues as far as time goes by and you'll be better at the end. And that's sort of, you know, the journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I recently had someone, a friend reach out to me who had lost her mother and she had said, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm climbing this mountain, like grief is this huge mountain and it's just getting worse instead of getting better because it had been a couple of months. And I agreed that absolutely it was going to get worse because the numbness starts to wear off. But she said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to the top of the mountain. And I thought, it's because that's not the right analogy. I, I don't. I don't think you get to the top of a mountain and all of a sudden now you're going downhill. You're going down the mountain and it's time to cheer. It's, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, and I even using the analogy or the term journey is probably not the right one either. Yeah, maybe not. Because that suggests there's a, there's an end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the end is when we, when we're, when we also join our kids or when we're gone from this world. And so, you know, there, that's the thing when I thought about too, which is like the certain amount of time passes, then you get to you know, whatever the next chapter is, you turn the page and go on. But I think it just is, it just is incorporated in you the rest of your life. And so whatever, however you've changed is going to be the way you're going to be. And, uh, you know, you'll continue changing and evolving and throughout the rest of your life. And that's why I, you know, everything, I guess it's just like looking at the life as a road. It is, yeah. but it's one where there, where you don't know where you're going and you don't know, and you also know you'll never reach a destination. And so I think we use all these, these, visualizations ways to try and understand things but in many ways we can't we can't experience something that is like a, a full encapsulation of a life only like a historian could look back and say you know look at the beginning and the end and sort of the you know, middle parts of the life and what you, impact you had but it was never you never look at that and describe it as a road that someone's traveling you just like, describe their life and the problem yeah. is is your life just it does have a beginning and end but there's it, not like an intermediate steps right it's funny that my response back to the friend who's use that mountain analogy, I said, I think of it more as a long, winding, curvy road and that it just seems like it's going on and never ending and never ending. And all of a sudden, though, you turn around and you look back and you realize you can't quite see where you used to be. So you actually have made some progress because you're not as bad off or in that same spot where you were even though it feels like it's just winds and twists and the forest looks the same, but it does change a little bit at a time. And, and you do notice over long periods of time that things are different. 
it's just, it's life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, it, if anything, it just really shows that it's, that in some ways grief is not much different than life. Right. right. I mean, I think just like you see someone and then you haven't seen them for 10 years and they look, you recognize them, but they look different. I think it's the same thing with this process as well. And just, it's, it's obviously internal, but there's, there's no, unquestionably that that's what it, the difference is. I really liked how Chrissy wrote about that, uh, the, how some days grief looks like this way and some days it looks that way. And I, I thought that was beautiful that some days you do just want to sit on your couch and just cry all day. And some days are going to the cemetery days and some days are, you know what? I think I can do some real good with this. I think I can work on my website or my blog as in Chrissy's, in Chrissy's case. It just as a reminder, her email address for that blog is ajourneyforcaleb.com. And the, they also use Caleb Cares for their nonprofit. So anyway, I think things do look different every single day. Um, it's just not the same. I know yesterday for me, I had a really hard day. Yesterday was the anniversary of my mom's death. And I spent a good portion of the morning just crying because I missed her and it makes me miss Andy more. And I did go to the cemetery yesterday. I couldn't be near my mom because she's off way off in Iowa, but I could be near Andy and talk to Andy. It's just some days are really, really hard. Yeah. And I would, and even probably more accurate is that just depends on the time of the day, right? I mean, like there would be moments or little bit that you're you're having a lot of trouble and then it kind of passes and you go on to the next whatever's going on right I mean I had that like walking down the hall in the in the hospital yesterday I was walking to the orange and I don't know what made me think about Andy and just missing him or something and I just got really sad for a little a little bit walking to a room to go check on a patient so I I don't it, it it comes up when you don't expect it and all the time and then I guess the point is you can still function afterwards Right. And I didn't have function. I mean, it wasn't a great day, but I did get through the day. Yeah. And I just know that those are just a little bit harder days than others. So, well, I think, why don't we go on to the next one then? The next one that we'll listen to was, well, I'll let her kind of introduce herself with her recording here. Hi, Marcy and listeners. I'm Dina, and I'm sharing and listening along with you from North Vancouver, BC, Canada. I lost my daughter, Cora, who was almost seven years old on August 13th, 2018. She died in a boating accident. Uh, I know it's two days before you lost Andy, Marcy, so I have been right alongside you ever since. Um, I'm in no way an expert on grief, but... In the two years that she's not been here by my side, I have certainly learned a lot about both myself and the community of people that I surround myself with. Um, And when thinking about what to share, there were a few things that stood out, but one in particular was um, with regards to something I read when we lost Cora. It seemed to be a common gift that we received a ton of books on grief. It's a go-to for people, it seems. And unfortunately, I can't remember exactly which book I read uh, this in, but the book talked about how there would be rescuers and rebuilders. Um, And I found it to be really, really true. After we lost Cora, 
a ton of people swarmed in, of course. There was a lot of shock, and um, people wanted to immediately be there to help and um, offer whatever they could to help us get through. Obviously, that was appreciated, and I don't think we could have survived without all those people um, helping us out during those initial days and, and weeks following our loss. But there were also what we called uh, rebuilders, or what the book called rebuilders. Um, and those are the people that are there for the long haul. It kind of surprised me who ended up being rescuers and who ended up being rebuilders. The people you thought would be one way turned out to be the other way and vice versa. And to no fault of theirs, I understand it's it can be awkward. People don't know what to say. Um, certainly isn't something that happens often. So, you know, people don't know how to respond in that, I understand. But the rebuilders were the people that continue to be by my side to this day, two years out, three years out, four years out, and, and on, because the grief doesn't end. Um, I never stop missing my daughter each and every day, and those are the people who continue to check in on me by simply a text message with a smiley face or meet with me for coffee and know that it's okay to mention Cora's name or talk about Cora or ask what I need or want to help me with initiatives that I'm working on in Cora's name. Yeah, again, I'm I'm no expert in grief. Um, I'm continuously learning about myself and um, how this morphs as time continues to move forward. Um, but it's certainly something that I've learned. Thanks for listening. What I like so much about that uh, commentary outside of the Canadian accent is... Uh, really the pointing out that people respond differently and you don't really know how they're going to be as far as friends or acquaintances, loved ones. Uh, And I think, you know, when it comes to me, I think, you know, obviously having a bit of grace and understanding, like she mentioned, that people may not be who you think they're going to be or be able to help you in ways that might help you uh, is important. But also I just think you just don't know how people are going to react to it and be there for you later. Right. I was surprised really at how much those friendships did change and people that I feel like I just barely knew were really stepping up and being there. It seemed that people who had experienced great loss themselves, whether it was a parent or a sibling or I I fortunately did not know anyone who had really lost children. I wasn't close to anyone who had been in that circumstance. But other people who had lost close family members seemed better equipped, really, to be able to be there for me, I think. Yeah, I think it's a matter of just being comfortable. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, honestly, there's not a whole lot to do sometimes, just be present or something like that. But I think just being comfortable, having someone crying around you or being sad or whatever, and just to not feel like you've got to make things better. That's oftentimes right. That's like the most important thing just to be okay, just being present with someone and then not expecting them to, not expecting you to walk away and then think, wow, I just feel like a million bucks now. I mean, yeah. it's, it's never going to happen. I just love those two terms though, to think about somebody coming in and being a rescuer or somebody re- wanting to rebuild you up. And you, in some ways you need sort of both, right? In the sure. beginning, you actually do need someone to come in and try to rescue that are to try to do those things that you can't do 
I think about particular people that really did that for us, that just showed up and just did stuff because we just couldn't do anything. And so they were the ones that you wanted there right away. Um, and But then for the long haul, you really do need the people that can help rebuild you and be there every day and just check in with you. And I have found really for me, the best rebuilders have been the ones that had lost children as well that I learned that I met through support groups and things. They're the ones that check in often. Yeah. I mean, I think naturally that's what it is, but I think it's important to just note that some people just have different, like anything, you have different skill sets. Right. Some people probably aren't good at whatever. And so they're good at making meals and going, doing your laundry and all that kind of stuff that needs to be done. Uh, And then, you know, they're, it's not in their wheelhouse to be the person who's going to check up on you all the time and maybe they don't have the relationship with you ahead of time maybe that was never their you know they never felt close enough to you before so it feels awkward to them even mm-hmm. to, to do those things and so uh you know i i do think you need both and and i yeah i don't it's interesting the way there's there's not i don't know that you value one more than the other in some ways they're maybe equally no. important yeah mm-hmm. it's just important for different times in life and i think she was right too and that some people really can't be either one and to give grace for those people too you know it it is different right there are some days that i feel like i have more strength to be able to help other people more than other days yesterday was not a strong day for me yesterday i even said to my kids that were in the house like today's a really tough day for me i'm don't ask for too much so i think it can be day to day it doesn't even have to just be whether it's your skill, but it's whether it's your skill and whether you have something to give today. So thanks so much for that great submission. I really, really enjoyed it, and I feel like I learned a lot from it. Next, I want to hear from Anna's mom, Kathleen. Uh, If you may remember, Anna's mom was episode 35, so to hear more of her story, you can listen to that one. Here is Kathleen. This year, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of our daughter, Anna, returning to heaven. I did not think I would be able to make it past 20 days or 20 weeks or 20 months, let alone 20 years. But here I am, and here we are. We've been blessed with three other kids after Anna went back to heaven, and they have kept us busy moving forward, but Anna's always been right there with us. I had no idea that those three kids who are 18, 16, and 12 would be able to consider how their lives interact with Anna's. And I was always afraid that they would not know her. Time has proven that concept wrong because my other kids talk about her as though they grew up with her. We have always talked about Anna. We have told her story over and over again. Every year on the kids' birthdays, we tell their birth stories, although they're getting tired of that. Um, We talked to them on Thanksgiving about uh, the last seven weeks of her life when we stayed home with her, and people brought us pie and food and came to say goodbye to her during our open houses. And we talked about all the funny things she did And we talked about all the trips we took with her and the challenges that we had seeking treatment for her. And those are the things that I think I didn't realize, that we would still have a family story. And my 
kids born after Anna died would still carry on her life and her story and her memory because we shared our memories and our story with them. I'm, I'm glad for that, and I wish I had known that before because that was something that I really worried about. I was also worried that people were going to forget her and us, and that has not been the case. I typically post to Facebook just a simple post on her birthdays and on the day that she went back to heaven. And the multitude of beautiful notes that I get back are just amazing. It's clear that people haven't forgotten her and they don't forget us. And just the the beautiful expressions of thoughtfulness and love and the brokenheartedness that we share with other people um, is something that I also had no idea. I think when you share grief, it makes grief lighter. I've told people that one of the other things I've realized over time that God's grace and the passage of time helped to soften the sharp edges of grief. I used to cry all the time. I don't think I slept for about a year, maybe a year and a half. Those first two years of, of you know, birthdays, celebrations, holidays were horrible. Um, but after that, it, it, it was still difficult, but everything wouldn't make me cry. And then less and less things would make me cry, but some things absolutely would make me cry. The smell of Johnson's baby shampoo and certain songs I'd hear on the radio or at church, those would always, they still do me in. But those triggers got less and less over time. Also, I started to realize over time that when I was brought to tears, that it was Anna was close by. And that made me feel more comforted than lost. And it really helped me. Those were really comforting words for me to hear, actually. I don't know about you, but I do have some of those same fears that she said in the beginning, the fears that Andy is no longer a part of our family story. So that was nice to hear that Anna continues to be a part of their family story, even with the kids who never even met her. So I feel like that gives me a little more hope that Andy will be a part of our family story because obviously you know they were 12 and 16 when he died so I I think there's less of a chance for them to forget but it it's just I don't know I liked that yeah well I would and I would say with our family I feel like the last few months or so we can kind of talk about Andy I feel like we didn't really talk about him a whole lot. Yeah, I, I've been much more intentional about it, actually. Yeah. Like the other day, I, I can't remember what Peter did. I, he dropped something, and I said that was a total Andy move because Andy was always much clumsier than anybody and who would drop things. And I, I feel like I'm trying to bring him up a little more in casual conversation because I feel like they still don't because they're still too afraid to bring him up because they'll upset me. Yeah. I think so. I, yeah, I think you almost, you, it's giving them permission. Right, right. And I think actually I've been a little more, trying to do that a little more, even after listening to Kathleen say this for the first time. And I, because I thought, goodness, if they can have Anna in their life, I should be able to have Andy in our family life too, moving forward. So 
the other nice thing that I liked uh, that she said was about not being forgotten because that is what I think all of us as grieving parents have that fear that our children will be forgotten, that our loss will be forgotten and that it will be like it didn't even exist. And so that's nice to hear that 20 years out, she still gets those same kind of comforting messages from people and people still remember Anna. Yeah, someone should do a podcast where people can tell stories of their children lost. <laughs> yes, yes. Someone should maybe do that. No, but 20 years is a long time, and I just feel like that's beautiful to be able to think about that going into the future. Other thoughts that you had about that? I don't think so. I mean, I think she, I think just the not forgetting your kids and being, keeping them incorporating them in your family is well, important. You did mention something about the softening. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just the the fact that time softens right. the grief. And I think, and it, you know, that's probably the best term because I think, you know, I always just thought, well, again, time passes, you feel better. Uh, but maybe what, what it is more, and it uh, is that just you, that the pain's just a little bit less ten, uh, intense. It, mm-hmm. It's a little bit easier to sort of deal with, but that it's not gone. And then uh, and when you hear people talk about it, like in their support groups and stuff, they'd say, well, you know, it's 10 years out. I'm still super sad about my son being gone. And you're like, wow, this is going to be, I can't imagine feeling this bad for the next 10 years. And mm-hmm. then you realize that, yes, you feel bad. I feel frustrated. I'm upset. Sometimes I feel like I want to kick the wall because I'm just mad that he's not around for something. But it just is, it's just softened. It's a little bit just easier to take, I guess. I don't know if that's the right term, but uh, yeah. that's sort of how it feels like to me that it, I think softening is a really good way of sort of putting the fact that things a little bit, a tiny bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Just the edges aren't maybe quite so hard. Okay. So the last recording here is actually more of a conversation. So I'm just going to play a conversation that I had with Luna. So Luna was on last week as well. If you remember Luna, Luna is Hunter's mom. Hunter's mom was episode 57. So anyway, Hunter's mom has a really good following, I would say, on Facebook. And she was posting amazing things in the weeks and months after Hunter's death. It's, in fact, how I found her originally. Well, she reached out to me, and then I started reading what she was writing on Facebook. And I thought, this is a woman who needs to be on the show because she had insight so, so early in her grief journey. And I was really blown away by it. So I'm going to have you just listen to a little bit of our conversation and what she thought that she wished she would have known at the beginning and things that others should know when they're early on in their grief journey. So here is a part of that recording of Luna and I talking. What are some things that you wish somebody would have told you or you wish you would be able to go back and tell yourself? I think that's almost better. What do you wish you could go back and tell yourself if you could go back in time to before the death. Mm -hmm. Be willing to speak your mind about what you need. It's very hard at the very beginning to know anything about what you need because you're in complete shock. And yet, if you allow yourself to trust what you know, not what everybody around you is telling you, it's, it's so powerful to um, sit really quietly and write or do something where you're just honoring your own 
process. I think grief is often formulaic in the way people think about it, or it's supposed to happen in a certain way. And that for me and for everybody I've talked with, it's a unique experience that's interwoven with all of the experiences of where you were at the moment that the person, your child died. Mm -hmm. So were you in a good place with them or a not good place with them? And you just had an argument or were you in a amazingly loving place? And all of that causes an overlay of emotion that, and then is this sudden or was this prolonged? And so for me, a lot of it had to do with um, over time in the first week or two, it was really just starting to let myself go deep into the grief and not take care of anybody else. I think we are as mothers and especially I'm, I don't have other children, but I can't imagine what it would be like to go through losing a child with other children in my life where I'm trying to do both. And so I think if, if I had other children, I would have asked a friend or a relative to say, I need you to take care of these children so that I can have at least an hour a day to myself. I needed a lot of time to just hold up and, and ball my eyes out without any needing anything from me. Mm -hmm. And I let go of work. I let go of, I certainly let go of any obligation. I let go of the need to thank people. I just said, you know, this is, I think the most important thing for me was it's okay to receive. It's okay to let people take care of you. And most of us have been taking care of everybody else for our entire mm -hmm. lives. And to, to know that one of the greatest gifts you can give other people is to receive gracefully. It's such a gift. And so when you, re, when, you, when you resist somebody's gift of time or food or presence or um, the offer to, to run errands for you or whatever the offer may be, when you act like oh, you don't need that out of some mythology of self-reliance, you're, you're harming your relationships and not receiving what spirit's giving you, what you have, whatever your belief system is. I believe that like there's a presence that's trying to support me and the way to support me is through the people that surround me and yes. some of whom are better skilled than others by far. Some, I mean, I had a friend who just, she just, she came in, she said, I didn't know what to do. And she doesn't have kids. She said, I don't know what to do, but I knew this was horrible. And I just knew that I had to help figure out the logistics of all the things you had to navigate in the last, and you know, up to the service and beyond. And that's what she did. She said, I did what I know how to do. And it was the most amazing gift ever. She's like, I knew other people had you emotionally. So I was going to take care of logistics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she would check in and she would say, okay, this is what we're thinking. How are you feeling about that? And I would be like, great. Now I don't have to think about that thing either. So allowing people to support you, allowing yourself to say, nope, that doesn't work for me. I think one of the greatest things we can do, and I mean, I'm an older mom, so I think I had more confidence about saying no than someone who is a young mom and I can't, you know, I don't know how you go through this. I don't know how any of us go through this, honestly, but the younger you are and the less experience you have in life, the less confidence you have in just saying what you know. But I knew like, no, I can't, 
I can't listen to all of you people talking out there in the living room, like go away. This is like very sacred time. I felt the same way when I was giving birth because I gave birth at home and all of a sudden people were like talking and I was like, I'm doing like the most sacred thing in the world, go somewhere else to talk. This isn't chatty Cathy time and neither is after someone dies. Like even if you're uncomfortable or you're nervous about what to do, take that somewhere else. Don't be with me in my space. Let me be in this deepest, most anguished place because that's where I am. Mm-hmm. And having people around me that really could hold space for that was magnificent. And people that didn't know how to do that, it was like, maybe don't know how to do that outside of my house. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and don't lay your belief systems on me either. You know, and I was grateful that, you know, I have a mother-in-law who's, super fundamentalist and I'm not. And, and, and she was extremely respectful. She just said, I didn't know what to do. So I sat in the corner and prayed and I said, that was perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, but she didn't come in and put that on me. She allowed herself to be, because she knew that we had different belief systems. So I was grateful. I think another thing that I would, you know, do differently or that I learned in the process is that it's a incredibly exhausting process it's just exhausting and you don't even know why you're so exhausted except what you do at the beginning because you're crying nonstop. but but after that you just it feels like um I felt like I was walking around I kept writing that I felt like like somebody had taken like 17 wool blankets and thrown them over me and then it was like trying to move through that and I think the key to it was honor that you're under 17 wool blankets like, don't try to move. We weren't yes. meant to move. It's the same thing when we're giving birth or we're having our period or other things where it's like our bodies are designed to take time. Mm-hmm. You know, menstruation is a time of going within and taking time, but we don't honor that. We're like, well, how can I keep going despite this thing that's happening naturally in my body? Or I just gave birth, but I should be like superwoman. I'm like, no, not really, actually. Actually, be under the blankets. And when you're under the blankets, they feel good. It feels good to be under 17 wet, well, not wet, but it feels good to be under 17 wool blankets. Warm, yeah, warm blankets. Mm-hmm. Warm wool blankets when you're not trying to move. So mm-hmm. instead of resisting and trying to be something that you can't be or move in a way that you can't move, it's honor that it's not a time to move. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're resilient humans. Humans have been through enormous. That's one of the things that kept coming to me over and over is as horrible as it is and as horrible as it has been to lose my child, I constantly was thinking about what about all the women in the world that lost their entire families and their homes in a war and they're sudden refugees? Or I just felt like, yeah, this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it is not the most horrible thing that's ever happened in the world to people, and they survived. And so, how do I lean into that strength that is out there somewhere? And yeah, part of how you lean into it is you have community and you lean into taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Deep, deep, I, deep caretaking. I love how you said that people are what are used to give you that comfort, really. And that is so 
huge to think about because I had a conversation with somebody just recently who uh, we were talking about that very same thing. And I said, yeah, it's not like God's going to come and make you dinner and set it on your front step. Somebody is going to do that for you. Some person is going to do that for you. And that will bless them to be able to do that for you. It's, you can't just expect that things are going to just show up. Things happen because people do them. And people are trying to bless you by doing those things. So as you said, it's really not honoring them when you don't accept those gifts, you know? Like this year, I, I shared in an earlier episode that my son wanted to get a Christmas tree and there was no way I was going to be able to go get a Christmas tree. I just couldn't. It was way too hard for me. But we talked to someone who brought us a Christmas tree at no cost and said, I'm so glad you allowed me this, that you allowed this to bless me. Right. And that was huge. That was huge for him. It's something he ended up doing with his son, bringing our tree and setting it up perfectly in our basement. And it blessed him. And he was honored to do something for us when for the past two and a half years, he's had no idea what to do for us. And then I allowed him to do something that made him feel good. And that's that was not something I would have done had I not really started thinking about it. And I started thinking like, I just can't do this. So that means somebody else has to do it. And we just got to figure out who's going to feel great about doing this for us. Cause I don't want to burden someone, but I know I can't do it. Exactly. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's so okay. And it's also okay to like, one of the things that happened for us was at the beginning, somebody said, to somebody, like somebody said to somebody, to somebody, like, so, you know, probably like the, the third circle of our circle said, oh, here are the foods that Amy and Luna like to eat. Well, they didn't quite get the list right. And so we kept getting like this, enor- like we had more hummus than like anybody could ever use, right? And it was just this feeling of like, everybody's trying to be so respectful of what we said we needed, but we didn't know what we needed. And then somebody else was giving the message. And so it was like, liberating to say you guys we got we're good on hummus we never want to see it again in our lifetimes (laughs) and instead you know we really need very healthy food and we we don't eat these proteins but we do love this go for it like just think you're nurturing your grandma what does she need and that changed everything and and everybody got more like comfortable with the idea of like you know, you're not going to mess it up. It's like, okay. And then the other thing was to say, don't bring us food for 12 people. We don't have 12 people in our household. And then we get overwhelmed with feeling horrible that we can't eat all that food. And so the, like a couple people were so amazing when they gave us, here's a list of what we brought you. This is a lunch option. This is a dinner option. You can put these different pieces together. It wasn't overwhelming. And it was so perfect two servings two servings two servings you know and it's like there's that desire it's almost a desire to overdo it in a way that you don't even know if we liked it and then you gave us 12 servings of it versus I'm just going to give you enough for tonight that's Mm -hmm. enough so so being willing to say this is working or this isn't hitting the mark so that friends get some guidance is huge and when I wrote like one of the pieces I wrote 
I think it was about maybe three or four weeks after Hunter died, I was really struck by, you know, there's the people that show up that are sort of the unexpected people that you're like, they're not necessarily your closest friends, but they're just like there. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that you thought were going to show up that you haven't even heard from or the family members that haven't even said a word or didn't come to the service or didn't whatever. And, you know, I think for me, writing about how that felt early on, whether or not it's ever shared with anybody, was really helpful to just say, you know what, that hurt. It hurt to not hear from my father-in-law. And even if I understand that it's hard for him to know what to say or that he's, un- he's uncomfortable, it still hurt and it still helped me to be able to say to myself, that hurt. And it's not petty to say that hurt. Yeah. Like you need everybody, like the way I described it to somebody was, you know, it's like we all have this net of our community, family, friends, whoever. And when one part, one little section of that net isn't present, you feel it. You don't need them to be, you know, showing up at your doorstep with chicken soup and bearing gifts. You just need them to say, I'm with you. I'm thinking about you. I love you. And when they don't, it feels absent and it sort of it creates a leak in the container that is holding me present because it's like an attention point. Like, I'm like, why? Instead of just allowing myself to sink into what is, you can't always tell people that you can't always bring it up. Although I do, i tend to be one of those people that's like, you know what, this hurt. Not everybody will do that, but I think just acknowledging it and saying it out loud is a way to let it go. I have found too, that there are certain people that if I say just, open up and say how sad I'm feeling or how hard something is that they immediately try to cheer me up. And that drives me crazy too. Cause that's, that's like, and then I don't even want to talk to you because you have to be willing to sit here in the darkness with me for a little bit. You know, I, I won't be in this dark place forever, but please let me be here for a while because this is exactly what I need right now. I need to be in the dark place and I need to be sad. And please don't try to cheer me up. I, you know, and I think that's an important, you know, I think it's like, we need to give other mothers permission to own that space and Mm -hmm. to also be able to say, like, I feel like so much of what I've had to do in the last three months is instructive. It's instructive to my community and my friends. Like, yeah, you don't want to be in the position where like, I have to teach you how to do this, but I didn't know how to do it either. I didn't know how to be present for my friends who had major losses in their lives. And so to be able to say to a friend, like, I'm not answering your phone calls. Like I do have a couple friends where I'm like, I'm not answering their phone calls because I don't really want their peace. It's like there's too much sharing and not enough listening. Mm -hmm. What I wish I'd done earlier is said, I'm willing to go for a walk with you and I really appreciate the offer but I need you to know that I need you to listen, not talk. Mm -hmm. Or I need you to know that I don't want to be cheered up. I want to be held in the space that I'm in because that's how I'm honoring my child right now. Yes. And, and cheering up feels really wrong. Like why would I be happy at the moment that I'm experiencing the death of my child? Like that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. And I get that you might be uncomfortable with that, I understand that it's uncomfortable holding space for someone who's grieving. So if that's not in your ability at the moment, just know that I feel your love 
and that when you feel like you could be in that space or when I'm in a different space, we can get together. <laughs> but until then, <laughs> you know, like, not so yes. much. <laughs> I know. I know. I love it. Oh, and I think thank it's you. important to be able to say, you know, thank you for being with me. I really don't want to be cheered up. Like, it's okay to tell people, but it's also helpful to be able to say, here's what I need instead. Yes. I think that's really important because that is saying you can still help me though, because if you just come back with, that's really not helpful right now, then they're like, ah, you know, then they want to back off. But you can say, if you can say, but please, could you do this instead? Then it gives them a place to start. Exactly. And one of the things that I remember from the first, because you interviewed me like three or four weeks after Hunter died. So early. It was early. Yeah. But you were the first person, Marcy, that said, tell me about Hunter. And I still don't have people that say, tell me about Hunter. I mean, it, I mean, it's so rare that people are like, could I just come over? I'd like to learn more about what Hunter's like. Yeah. It's so weird. And I'm like, why don't we ask people about the person that died? What is our, it's like there's some taboo against it. Like it's going to make it worse. And I'm like, no, it doesn't make it worse. No, not at all. It doesn't not make it worse. And then, you know, here you are two, out, two years out. And of course you still want to talk about Andy because you don't want that to fade away. For example, another thing that happened to me that I wish I had known before it happened was Thanksgiving on Zoom, which was like, you know, I showed up late because I didn't get the time right. And when we showed up, everybody's just ah, da, 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 chit-chatting, right? And tell me about this and let me see. And one of the things that happened, which was so poignant, was my wife had just had uh, surgery and, you know, and, and the doctor in the room, my, uh, my uncle said, oh, Amy, let me see your scar. And, you know, oh, they did a really good job. And, and I was like, I'd be, I burst into tears <laughs> and, I, and I left the Zoom call. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I couldn't figure out even like what was going on. And I'm like, nobody asked to see my scar. Right. Nobody asked about Hunter. Nobody called to say, you guys aren't on the call and, we're, and you're late. Why, are you okay? Did you get the message? And I was just like, and then nobody called me to say, where'd you go? Are you okay? Oh. And, and so I ended up writing this piece that was like, here are some suggestions for how to handle a family gathering when someone you love has just lost their beloved child, spouse, it doesn't matter who they lost, but for in particular, the holidays and the child, for God's sake, we're used to having that child be the focal point of our holidays. Mm -hmm. And to not have anybody say, let's discuss before the holiday gathering, even if it's on Zoom, how are we going to acknowledge the child? How are we going to bring them into the room? Do we want to light a candle for them? Do we want to share a memory of them? What will feel good to you, Luna, Marcy, whoever, and to the siblings too, if they're siblings, what would feel good to everybody so that we're bringing it into the space instead of feeling to me like it's being ignored out of discomfort. Mm -hmm. It's like, just take some time before this gathering of whatever sort it is and be willing to talk about how we're going to honor this person. We don't want to make the whole holiday gathering about the loss. That's not the, the, the reason to say that. The important thing is 
we want to make sure that Andy and Hunter are still present. Yeah. That they're still yeah. part of this gathering. And it might mean we put his favorite ornament on the tree. It might mean that we light a candle for Hanukkah. It might mean that we say his name or say people share a couple favorite memories. And then we move yeah. on, but at least it's there. And, yeah. you know, my scars, you can't see them. I know. They're there. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you so much, Aluna. And Eric and I are back now. That's a lot to talk about, a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot there. I, you know, I think there are a couple things that struck me that I've had similar thoughts. And, you know, one of them, I think even mentioned to you a couple times is uh, where she talked about what it must have been like for people in wars to have lost children. And that uh, I think in many ways when we were first this, the small group, there was that there's certainly a feeling that you, you're the only one who's gone through this and that, um, you know, it's a totally unique experience, which in many ways it is unique to you, obviously, because you've not gone through it. But I think there's some comfort and some, there's some help in knowing that other people have been through it before. And then to think that other people have been through things that are, you know, arguably worse. I mean, you can always, in any way, the situation with Andy could have been worse. I mean, yeah, I think a lot about the him. It is well with my soul. You know that him, and that him always bothered me because I, since Andy died, because I feel like it is not well with my soul. I do not want to be singing about things being well with my soul <laughs> when they are clearly not well. But if you know the history behind that him, that was written by a man whose wife and daughters, I think four of them, either three or four of them, were on a ship going to Paris because they're all going to go to Paris for Christmas. And he at the last minute had to stay in Chicago and do a few more things was, but was planning to meet them. So he went to New York and was going to leave on the ship and found word that that entire ship had sunk. And the, there were many survivors, but none of his children survived, just his wife. And she had reached out to him via telegram, you know, that she wanted the ocean to take her too. She just was so devastated sure. to watch her girls die. And when he was on the ship going to his wife, who is now actually in England, which is where they put the people who survived, he wrote that song, Being Well With His Soul. And it's amazing to me because... Things could not have been feeling very well with soul. And it makes you think of things differently. And it's interesting, if you go on to learn more about their story, they went on to have other children, but another one died. So they had many children, and I think only two lived to adulthood. So she's right in that you just, many more devastating things could happen. I mean, we could have lost Peter in the accident too. I know our daughter was working, so she wasn't in the car. And she kept thinking, I should have been there. And I am thankful that she wasn't because no one in the far back seat could have possibly survived. So if we would have had our entire family of six in that car, we would have lost three of them instead of one. Anyway, it is a good thing to think about in some ways, but to also not minimize your own pain that you're going through either. Well, sure. But I think the other thing that is sort of related to that too, is where she talks about how she doesn't know how she'd have done it had she had other kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think 
it, so much so often when we have things that we go through, you always try and relate it to your life or to things you can maybe comprehend and understand. And I think we're always comparing ourselves to other people in their situations to try and gain some empathy or to, you know, to gain some understanding. And so it, it's interesting because you could certainly have people who say, well, it'd be so much worse if it was, if I didn't have any other children, right? I mean, yeah. I think you can look at it in so many, or it would be much better had Andy been sick for a while and then died. Or, and then other people who've had that, they said it's better if it was all at once. There's really like no good way. And I think we can, we sort of think that that thing, the situation might be different. But I think, you know, the other part of that too is that she just didn't have any energy to help anyone else. And so that's why she was, that's why she thought it'd be impossible having kids, other children to try comfort. And um, I mean, I think that's true. It's yeah, really I, hard, right? Because you got nothing in the tank. Yeah, it is reasonable to think think that it's just you don't know right you just don't know what you haven't experienced yourself and I know when we've gone to support groups I have felt so bad for those parents who had to watch their children suffer and so I think that would be horrible I'm so glad I didn't have to do that at least I didn't have to do that and yet those same people who I feel horrible for will look at me and say oh, I can't believe that, losing your child so suddenly like that, not having a chance to say goodbye, that would be so horrible. And they think my loss is more horrible, and I think their loss is more horrible. But it turns out they're just all horrible. So it just doesn't matter in some ways. It doesn't matter at all. Your own experience is your own experience. And I feel blessed to have other children, because it would have been more devastating to lose everyone. But she feels kind of blessed that she was able to give herself time to heal without having to use extra energy to comfort others. So the other thing that I love about her, and really you all should follow her on Facebook because she just writes some really amazing things. So if you go to my Facebook page, you will be able to find her too, Luna Jaffe. Uh, anyway, the fact that she talks about having to teach other people and to just really being clear with what you need. And I feel myself getting a little bit better at that all the time. But it takes some practice. It takes some effort to do that, to give yourself permission really to ask for help and tell people exactly what you need. Why don't we talk about the very last thing now? The last submission that I had was from Tom Madsen. Tom Madsen did just a very, very recent episode, the one that was aired on Thanksgiving. That was episode number 63. So Tom wrote a book that all of my listeners now have heard about. But for this submission, he decided to write it, write a poem. So I feel like that would be a good way to kind of end this episode by reading this poem that was inspired by really what I wish I had known. So Eric, why don't you go ahead and read that now? What I Wish I Knew by Tom Madsen. Elusive sleep like grasping smoke. The fear, the dread, the desperate hope. The skyward pleas from where I kneeled, that he would serve if only healed. A father's wish for his valiant son, that I'd been stricken and that he had won. But winning very often depends on how you view 
and through what lens? For what if Kevin's was a promise fulfilled, and he was reborn, even as here he stilled? And what is within me to honor his gift, who is now to be healed, whose spirit to lift? And what gives me license to offer you hope? What possible help on this treacherous slope? This tortured odyssey has caused me to see that the healing of others is the healing of me. For all the time I felt perched at the edge of a pit, and light just a pinpoint at a distant far lit. My sun yet steeled me as a bright shiny rail, spearing horizons transcending the veil. So what I'd say now to the me of back then is surrender and trust and know from within that grief is but a stone in the path to the door, to the home where we are reunited once more. That is really a beautiful poem, I think, filled with a lot of hope. I feel like that's kind of the theme of that in general. I mean, I think the the most important part of this piece, I think that I get out of it is that, uh, you know, we have an idea of what our story arc is and what a complete life is. And we always imagine it ends in old age. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, obviously sometimes it isn't. And it, that's not for whatever reason, that's not what life was meant to be for that person. And so I think you can always look for missed opportunities and things that should have been or could have been. Um, but I think you just need to look for what, what it was. And maybe that was the completeness that we just need to celebrate. Yeah. My favorite line of the whole poem is the line, the healing of others is the healing of me. And I feel like I have done that. I know Tom has done that. Chrissy has done that. A lot of the people that I have interviewed have done that, have focused on helping others heal because helping others heal is how, is one great way that we can help each other heal and help ourselves heal. So thank you so much for co-hosting today and commenting on these stories. I, I feel like it was really helpful and useful. Maybe even a little bit healing for you, huh? Oh, I think there's no question. I There's no question that every week I get something new out of it and a little tiny new piece of healing. So I hope that does that for others as well. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.